Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yes, we are. And this week has been pretty interesting. One thing I think we left off with last week was diving into process capture. We were going to go back to that. So I'm hoping to give an update there. But before the, the we started recording, I was complaining about. So I've got a, a three-week-old now at home and a, a two-year-old. And I haven't worked out because the baby just got here and the routine is all scrambled and just finally got a workout in for the first time yesterday. And my body has been falling apart. It's no working out. My knees start aching. My hip starts hurting because I think I'm sitting at my desk too much or just not strengthening. And so I'm old. I'm going to be 40 in February. So it's really getting clear to me that like strength training and just lifting weights on at least a couple of days a week basis is, I think that's my thing moving forward. Like that's going to be like food, water, shelter, and just some form. Getting jacked. <laughs> yeah. Constantly getting gains. No, but it's funny. I've never, I really only started lifting weights for the last four or five years. And then now it, it's turning into, and also just from a, a brain health and mindset perspective it's, it's so necessary like i can't go more than a, now it feels like one week and like my body's putting me on notice being like hey if you want to start limping again keep going punk i don't know are you big into the the strength training world I'd, i'm not big into it but yeah i do it i probably weight lift two to three days a week and i do something every day so two to three days a week weightlifting two to three basketball I, I want to do yoga like twice a week. And I was good about that for a while, but it's more like, you know, once every two weeks now. So that's not great. And then recently pickleball on Sundays, I've been playing with nice. the old, the old people. So huge pickleball fan. <laughs> that is like the number one Florida injury, by the way. Like my dad is 80 something years old. And he's always telling me from down the street, they broke their hip playing pickleball. They broke their leg playing pickleball. They broke their wrist playing pickleball. It's all these old people just getting wrecked on the pickleball court it sounds like and not to go off the the rails on pickleball but it does sound like a really fun game where you can just totally get into it but also fall on your it's a beautifully designed game where it's like the wiffle ball slows down and it's a small court so even if you're older as long as you can react relatively quickly you could play but i do see the old people they don't have like the stopping power so they enter like a controlled fall um, mm. So if they run after a ball, like they don't have the quad strength to slam their knee to the ground and stop. So you have to take some extra steps and yeah, you definitely see some wipeouts where they, uh, they don't stop in time. The Florida hospitals and orthopedic surgeons love that game. But, but yeah, it's something where it's got to get into this routine. And, and so at home, I don't really have anything. When we started talking about kettlebells and you were saying you've got a hundred pounder. I just have one and it's a 70. Um, 70. Is, okay. Yeah. I, if you like trying to work out in five minutes, it's probably the most efficient. I do mostly single arm swings with it. And then I just alternate arms. If I do double arms, like my arms get tired too fast. So it like mm. helps to alternate. But my other, my big thing, like halfway through COVID, I got into it is this knees over toes guy. And he's like revolutionizing, I would say the workout world and everyone is stealing his exercises now. So he sells some training that's 50 bucks a month. You don't really have to do it. If you just go to his YouTube, you could you know figure out all his exercises but his big thing is like mobility. And so it's a combination of strength and flexibility and the stuff he could do is just incredible. Um, and it, th this is all, I got into this because three years ago, I tore my ACL playing basketball, three games, one day game the next morning. And just on a drive with lazy movements, his like 
step my left knee down and it bent inward and tore my ACL. So nothing crazy, no contact or anything. It's just lazy movement. And so like ever since then, the big, biggest thing you can do to protect yourself is just get your legs really strong. And that's mm. his whole thing is get really strong, like compromised positions. So like when your legs fully extended, like you're slamming down really hard. So it's like a lot of walking backwards is like the most basic form of movement is like you do everything forward. How you get strong is and protect your knees, get your hamstrings really strong. So Nordic curls are really good where it's like you're kneeling on the ground. Someone's holding your heels down, or I have a weight bench that holds my heels down and you, with your own body weight, pull up against yeah. it. Reverse Nordics is similar where it's more in your quads or VMO squat is where you're on a slant board in reverse. So instead of your toes facing up, they're pointing down and that kind of replicates the movement of stopping. So I almost all of them aren't very hard. It's just like you slowly improve and improve on them week over week. That's great. Yeah. I've, I've done those Nordic curls before and they work, man. They definitely target that area effectively, but it's weird. It's I've got to get a better setup at home. I've, I've got a, a gym that I can go to finally, and we're starting to figure out the, the new schedule, but like with the baby, it's before I had a couple hours in the morning, I'd blocked off like the set time. And so what I'm going to try to start doing is, is instead of doing lunch is like just eat at my desk, which I did anyway, try to go to the gym then and just keep my energy up. I think that's the other part of it is like after I, I can do cardio and nothing like going hard for 45 minutes or an hour with heavy weights, just, I feel like so much more energy afterwards. So got to change the routine, got to adapt to the new environmental situation and get back on it. Cause man, it's one is just the aches and pains, but two is, is like what you're saying is just being able to do things and not hurt yourself my son's almost he's 30 pounds now and just like picking him up and throwing him in a crib and picking him up and taking him down the stairs it's like you feel that that pain thankfully i'm strong now i can it's not a big deal but he definitely puts you in some strange positions where it's you're extending your arms over something putting him into a crib it's hopefully we just need to get him out of the crib and in a toddler bed maybe that's the the right solution but kids are they get heavy and they get big pretty quick so you got to be able to stay strong and, and pick them up <laughs> That's the, the strength piece of this. I think that's all I got to say about working out right now, other than it's, it's just been totally, totally critical to me. Uh, cool. So I guess the other big update on my end this week, I ran ads for my course for the first time, the how to buy small companies course, and it was really successful. So I'd never used Twitter ads before. This is my first experience and the product is horrible. Like I couldn't actually get an ad set up without talking to them because I couldn't select a tweet that was newer than 2018. And they're just like, oh yeah, that happens sometime. Okay. <laughs> it's wild. I don't know how this is a real company that is as big as it is because they are very bad at building like their main product that makes money. And then every day it would just stop running and then it would run the day after. So every other day it would run. I was like, why is this happening? And they were like, oh yeah, that happens too. We fixed it on our end. Pretty rough wow. getting it started, but uh, very effective ads, three, four times ROI on them. And it pushed it out to half a million people. So that was super successful. It, but what you're doing is basically like forcing your uh, tweets to go viral. And anytime a tweet goes viral, you get a lot of crazy people reaching out. So definitely got that. And what I didn't realize is uh, micro PE sounds like something else. So I got a lot of micro penis jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Wow, oh, man. So you could read through the responses, but yeah, it was like one and I was like, that's weird. I don't get that. And then it was like two and then three. And I was like, what is going on? And then I finally put it together. But 
had to be, you know, well over 10. <laughs> but I, was I mean, it getting... is Twitter. So I shouldn't be surprised, but that's hilarious. Twitter is, it's such a funny, like, it's such a funny place on the internet, at least. It's, you truly get the, some of the best goofball, oddball, fringe society thoughts ever, as well as just some really good insights from people you would otherwise never get straightforward or, or clear exposure to. But yeah, there, I've run it. We used to use it to run ads for just like piloting ideas. And it, it's weird. It's like Twitter is a product and then the ad piece of it is an afterthought slapped onto it. I hadn't run into some of the issues that you were describing, but I'm not terribly surprised. It doesn't seem, and maybe you'll find this out, but it doesn't seem like a platform you could like, if you were to say, I'm going to 10X my investment, I, I don't know if you would get the same results you would get from something like Facebook that where it's like, that's their central money-making avenue, which I think I heard recently that due to these congressional interviews that Facebook's been under the, the microscope, they, they were saying, somebody quoted, they make $51 per user per month currently. I don't know if that's, if I'm misquoting that, but talk about prioritizing. That number is really stuck with me. I'm curious if Twitter's even registers on that same, if it's even a dollar a month per user, but I just don't feel like it's, it's as central commerce is as central to it. No, they're bad at making money. I think that's spot on. <laughs> like Facebook's ad product is incredible. And that's why everything that they buy is just so fruitful, like Instagram, WhatsApp, whatever. Like they just have this monster, very effective ad targeting. Twitter is just uh, abysmal. It's insane. I don't know how you can't just steal people away from Facebook and recreate it or Google yeah. or anyone successful. And the explanation you always hear is that Twitter just has so much tech debt that they like literally can't do anything and they can't improve like messages or DMs or anything. I don't know how that doesn't get fixed. I think Jack was working on fixing it over the last year, but it's incredible how bad they are at everything. It's really hard. Like the, the back in the fail whale days, like the idea that you have the amount of data just flying through and it's easily searchable and followable. It's just amazing the the technical feats that they're in. And I, I just imagine that's probably the root of it. I, I don't know if I'd call it even tech that just by design, it's this massive database of these little messages that you can pull up in real time and you can pull them up from years and get threads and, and see how everything's interconnected. And you can load that data and it does it in such a way that it doesn't take forever to load either, where you're not passing to get Colin's tweets from five years ago and then the responses. And it's, it is quite the feat because I think they, there was some, oh man, I forget the name of it. There was some alt-right version of Twitter that was going to go up that parlor. I think, uh, parlor. Yeah. Parlor came down and they exposed how that was written and it was nowhere close to being even sophisticated. And they just ran out of uh, IDs. It was just, it shows you that it's not as easy as you think. So I think the, the, developers of the, the architect at Parler must have been his first time, but yeah, it was a mess. It, it, there's a lot to Twitter. There's a lot of innovation there, I think. And they probably are just like ads, whatever. We're, we're focused on just getting the system to run and stay, keep it on. Yeah. So that's, that's, I guess the bare minimum and they're succeeding at doing that <laughs> nowadays. So I, like my other thought with this course is I don't know like what direction to take it. I got pretty consistent feedback that it's like wildly underpriced for the value. So I'm going to continue increasing it. So I think I'm going to increase it to 400 like this wow. from 200. Great. And so like the two different directions and we could talk about each and people doing it well. So there's cohort-based courses. 
So like David Perel has Rite of Passage. He makes $2 million a year doing that. Tiago Forte has Building a Second Brain. I think he makes over a million doing that. And that is, you have a bunch of people over the course of eight weeks, you meet twice a week live and you like accomplish something by the end. And that is, it's much less about the content and much more about the networking. Like they put you in small groups and you work through activities mm -hmm. together. And it's like a forcing function to get people to do stuff. And so David Perel, I think charges like 7,000 now a class. Tiago's maybe more like three or four. And that is interesting to me. I wonder if you could make a credible college alternative where it's like teaching people to buy a business instead of get them $100,000 in debt. This way you get a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt, but with an SBA loan, and at the end of it, you have a business that makes hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. I think that's super interesting. I don't know of anyone doing it. Like back in the VC days, I talked with the CEOs of like almost all the college alternatives. And I feel like this was thrown around, but no one is really doing it at a high level. I'm intrigued by it. I don't know. It's like, it's a lot of work, obviously. It's much more about like a personal audience. You build out a newsletter, more organic marketing. So that's one path. And the other path is just continuing to add content, continuing to improve the course and continue to increase the price. So like a premium pre-recorded course. And this, I know people that are doing it around a thousand bucks. I don't know if you could go much higher than a thousand for this kind of non-cohort based. And then you have a community on the back end, and then it's very much a paid marketing exercise. So the people that are doing this in like the seven figures in revenue a year, they are spending 30 to 40% on ads, 30% wow. to 40% of the ad revenue. Which and I think is great. Right? Yeah. That doesn't seem nearly as high as you would, you'd even think. Yeah, it's pure profit, right? Because it's a digital right. product effectively. But that is much more of an exercise of churning out really effective YouTube, Facebook ads and scaling it up. And I know people doing 20 million plus doing this with courses. And they mm. do it pretty quietly because once something starts succeeding, like you don't talk about it um, <laughs> as a play. It comes out of the woodwork, they want to loan money. Or more so like you're inviting competition, right? Right. It's yeah. pretty similar with any you know startup. You talk about it a ton and then it starts working and you just, you be quiet. You don't talk about big fundraising rounds or anything like that because mm -hmm. it just invites competition. But I, I don't know. I think both those paths are interesting. I think the product is like moving in the direction of being a credible option. I don't know. Any feedback for me on either of these paths? Yeah. Jusa, if, if you have good return on ad spend, which I think you, you're already seeing is just continue. I, I really like the idea of continuing to add value to it, even if it's incremental or even if it's as the discord gets better, right? The resources mm -hmm. and the conversation and the, the context there, that's even valuable. And having a, a dynamic price makes sense. I like the idea of on a weekly basis, this is going to get more and more expensive because on a weekly basis, you're adding something to it that gives it validity, even though I do, I agree that it's underpriced. A lot of the other courses out there on the low thousands, you know, and this is not a Udemy course. This is not a, it's just, it's not very like theoretical and what I call mental masturbation. It's very like real world. This is like actual deals, actual documents that are, that we're using and, and it does seem underpriced. So I think that lever is a great one to continue pushing on just, Hey, this is, either monthly or weekly, it's going to go up in price. And if you were thinking about doing it, I don't know what going back to, could you structure something where you, you basically help people get SBA loans or not help them point out how to do it and put some structure on that. That is, is tough because it's like, it's almost like the materials you need for the course, you're going to have to go and find a business. And I found when the added restrictions for the SBA loans were a little bit harder to find businesses, right? To find something that's going to 
fit all of the check all the boxes for the SBA loan and also be a great opportunity. It's not always it's not going and picking up your book at the bookstore to participate in the class. This is something I've struggled with of David Perel's writing course. It's like you have a nice blog and some nice pieces written at the end of it. And that's like a clear deliverable. You know, Tiago building a second brain, you have Rome or Evernote, whatever set up nicely. It's like you don't really want to rush in eight weeks to buy a business. Like you could, right. but <laughs> that's <laughs> Not great. You would have the infrastructure in place to like be searching for a business and the know-how. And I do think some people want that forcing function of, I'd love to buy a business someday, but within these eight weeks, like I'm going to be taken seriously and I'm actually going to look mm -hmm. and go through it with other people and get feedback. I don't know if eight people are all trying to buy a plumbing business, they could be in a group together and they're not competing because they're all in their own like locality, but that would be like a, a forcing function to get people to take it serious. Yeah, uh, I like it. But it's definitely a more involved for me. I'd hire like a course manager or something, but I don't know. I don't love things that are like recurring, like a pre-recorded course. It just is right. Twice, three times a year running this like cohort based stuff is, you know, very intense as David Perel and those other folks talk about. I'm sure. I'm sure it's stressful too. And this is the best part of the product is that it's just going to continue to it's largely just continue profit. And even if you are spending some time to improve it, and increase you're you're increasing the price so you're, you're increasing that profit so it's it's great yeah the other thing I, there's some ongoing like so i moved from circle to discord because it seems like discord is like the place for community now it's been much more active and really fun i am in there every day like checking and replying to responses so that's where a lot of the value of the course has come from where it's like people ask questions i make a new lecture on those questions yeah, and it just continues to improve, which has been a pretty fun, like MVP improve, raise the price process. Yeah. But the discussion there has been really good around like when people have live deals, they ask for feedback. Like we were looking at buying a course business and I was asking for feedback there and people are giving me feedback. I'm like, have you looked at this? Have you looked at this? What multiple are you paying? All that mm -hmm. stuff has been super valuable. Agreed. I guess. Uh, any other thoughts in the course? Otherwise we'll move on to, uh, no, I'm excited to see it. I'm really happy for you that it's, it's growing. This is, I think the hardest part is now behind you. It's like going from the, getting the first people to sign up, getting that first reaction. And it sounds like the reactions have, you know, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly been positive. So congrats. And not to say that you're done, but this is like, that's to me, the hardest part is like, I mean, beyond even just recording the course, but getting the first kind of cohorts in and seeing that, that their reactions are positive. So it's not that it's all gravy from here, but it's, it's all stuff that I think you're going to be really well suited to manage and grow. So I'm, I'm super happy for you. Thanks, man. Yeah. I would say it's the same with any product. It's like finding that product market fit of actually making something valuable to people it is the hardest as we know, and we've done a million times. So it's clear, like there's something here. It's just a push on the gas. Kind of the opposite of this is a uh, cost saving. Yeah. So, I guess I could tee you up with this a little bit. Like we've been looking at businesses and they have some of monstrous AWS expenses and some have been able to cut it from like $100,000 to $0 a month. And they have other hosting fees, but the other hosting fees haven't really changed. So I, can you talk a little bit about like tech savings and how something like that is even possible? Yeah. And we, every single business we look at has this, even we have it on Blink sale. We have it, we have a uh, pretty big hosting bill with engine yard, which is a layer on top of AWS. So you'll have services that will manage your AWS for you. And then they'll throw a couple hundred bucks on top of their uh, AWS bills. It's basically the nature of cloud infrastructure was really popular the last 10 years. It is 
everyone uses it and it's really rare to not use it. And there's generally, I try to think of it as these are layers of abstraction on top of like you having to manage your server or a data center and manage the services on that box. It's it actually, there's a lot of, in the tech world, there's a lot of discord around this. Does it even make sense to use AWS, which is, it's great for getting up and running and you don't have to, the costs are higher to you know get a slot at a data center or just use a bare metal, what's called a bare metal host, which is, they're just going to give you a, a server and it's literally a server. It's not virtualized. And when I say virtualized, AWS, you can spin up, I'm putting my bunny ears up, a server but it's really an instance or a compute unit, which is part of a huge network of computers. And they, they virtually are giving you basically a quota or a, a version of a server, what would feel like a server, but it's not. And you're on their infrastructure for everything from there on out. When I say for everything networking, like the data that comes in on the server, the data that goes out on the server, and I'm using the, the term server interchangeably, but in short, AWS is super expensive when it scales up. Everybody knows this, and this is the brilliance around their startup. They'll give you $100,000 credit. And so if you are a startup in the first year you end up using, you're, they're going to get that $100,000 back from you pretty quickly. Because once you start getting into the actual like high demand tiers, or you need more CPU, or you're serving a, a lot of users per day, you're transferring a lot of data. And what a lot of these virtual hosts, Azure, Google, Amazon, they're all going to ding you for just data going in and out of their systems. And that's probably the, the number one biggest red flag when it comes to, I shouldn't say red flag, but like cost out opportunity when we do diligence, it's, are they on AWS? And it's not an easy answer. It's not easy to just say, oh, just get off AWS and you save money. You need people to do that. You're going to have to have site reliability. People are going to have to have technical resources to be able to execute that. But when you can, it's great. And it's generally out of initial, I'm not going to say it's laziness, but it, it's laziness. It's like when you go from the metamorphosis of being like a prototype product, and then you start growing, that's a really hard time to say, Hey, let's change all of our servers. Let's go to somebody cheaper. Let's go to a bare metal situation. It's really difficult, but it, it is the, the way that you can drop hundreds of thousands of dollars off your, off your PL, at least off your liabilities. It's, but it's difficult. And so hats off to people that have tried it and succeeded. It's not going to happen without some bumps, especially if you have a high, highly trafficked technical product. I think it's a great strategy that we're going, what I would call like cost out approaches. It makes a ton of sense. It's a great way where it's like, hey, rather than firing a bunch of engineers and moving all your engineering to Bratislava or something and, and paying much less. You know, that may be a, a viable solution. And, and we talked about this with ESW, that's like their playbook, but this is just a, a, I think a good thing to look at that every acquirer should be considering is what can I do to, to pay down what I would call like a, this is technically a, a part of tech debt. It's like, what can we do to pay this down in order to just bring the operating costs down on a business, which we've done this with Blink Sale. We, we could probably continue to do it, but every business, it's a good opportunity for a new acquirer if you're coming into a situation where nobody's really addressed it and it feels scary to do it, it's probably the right time to do it upon acquisition to just correct overpayment. And in general, it's super duper expensive to run things on Amazon at scale. Yeah. So we had this with uh, Blink Sale, like they were on a huge Zendesk account and right. they couldn't cancel it, I don't think, because they were locked in for a while, but we did an access, asset purchase so we could they'll cancel it. Like where that company doesn't exist anymore. We didn't acquire their liabilities. So, uh, bye-bye, you know, Zendesk. I right. guess 
that is just on a higher level for some of these other things. Exactly. And it's just, there's lock-in, but it, it is difficult to make these changes and it can be costly. I would say as well, like doing a lot of this work, let's say you had to move your entire infrastructure onto a bare metal server. There's a great deal of risk with doing that may scare you away from it. But the other alternative is there are, there are companies that have popped up now that will just consult on helping you get your AWS bill down to size. And because their pricing structures are incredibly difficult, they're convoluted, they're fair in a sense. Like if company, if you have all your infrastructure, your traffic's being metered and, and so they're pricing it in a way that's based on, I think what their costs might look like, or it's very granular though. It's you're getting billed for everything. So it's not going to be like, all right, we'll just charge you a thousand dollars a month for this server. And you can use as much as you want. It's we're going to charge you for this much CPU, this much memory, this much traffic in, this much transfer in our network, this much transfer in external networks. It's like very granular. And so you, you have to dig into it in order to even just get an understanding of what are our costs even going to be per month. Mm-hmm. So that's where this world of like bare metal servers, which the whole internet was based on before this sort of craze, because it's it is a little bit more tricky to deal with, but I think the, the realization I've seen a handful of Hacker News conversations where people have posted their savings after getting off of cloud infrastructure. Yeah. But make no mistake, you need people. If you have a, if you are a non-technical founder or non-technical technical owner, you bought a, a company and they've got a thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars at AWS, you probably could save money, but you'll end up paying that to a developer or a, an engineer that's going to help you migrate. And then you're going to probably have a little bit more work to manage that system, making sure it stays on and is, you know, maintained properly. So it's a catch and it's, it is that generally that level when you're sizable enough uh, that it makes sense to do where it's like, Hey, we could probably make a deal with somebody, meet all of our hosting needs, meet all of our scale needs and save hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is where these bills just get so big. So this may be a basic question, but is that a specialist skill set, or do all developers know how to do that and like dramatically cut the costs and they just, you know, haven't? Yeah, it's, it's a specialist thing. It's, you'd hear a developer that you'd want to ask them if they're like one term for it would be like DevOps. Some people call it that. That's not to be super specific, but like a DevOps or infrastructure engineer. It's generally the, their developers, they're less so on the software side. They're more so on the, uh, Infrastructure, you'll hear terms like Docker, which there's a whole bunch of great new technologies coming out that make it easier to deploy services to cloud infrastructure, but also to then lift that and put it anywhere, which is if you're thinking about, if you've heard the term Docker in your company or you're looking at a deal and they everything's Dockerized, that's a great sign because that means you generally can move it from you know either different cloud hosts or your own bare metal server, which you can benefit from some of the cost savings there, but it is definitely a specialization infrastructure engineers, or a lot of this could be the equivalent of a SRE or a site reliability engineer. They don't really mess with the making feature changes to your code, but they're concerned most with keeping things running and how things are, how your software is being delivered to the end user. It's a cool world. It's super nerdy and I love it. Like I would love to, if I had to pick one thing, I don't know if I'd be able to just in that world, but when you start working on this stuff, it's like tuning a motorcycle. It's there are only, there's a finite number of pieces and it's like tons of different options and it, it is quite fun to, to do. And if that happens to be your hobby and you buy a technical business, you'll be, be in luck because there's 
just unlimited amount of options that you can use to, to improve things. But it's in my mind, it, it's a little scary because it is a high wire app. It's like you make big changes and you are a software business. It's like changing the tires on your car while, while driving. It's pretty difficult to do unless you have a very clear plan on how you do it. I was completely shocked how impactful it could be. Like I, it never occurred to me that some of these companies could like double their cash flow. Like I didn't realize that they could be overpaying by that much. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of like, how painful will it be to shut these things off? How painful will it be? And generally you need someone at the helm who's not so concerned with, maybe it's a short-term pain. You're going to, you're going to lose a hundred thousand dollars one month to pay a crew to come in and, and fix the problem, but you'll, the yield you'll get from that month over month is, is huge. Yeah. It's good to hear. So yeah. Dig into, you know, if you're looking, you're doing diligence, you're looking at a business dig into where things hosted, what are the costs you won't be, if somebody has a hundred thousand dollar AWS bill, they may not be able to tell you why it is or, or how they can get that down, but somebody out there can help you with that. And there's a lot of resources and, and ways to kind of look at moving things off of those platforms because they're not in it for charity. So it makes sense why they're doing what they're doing. And they just generally tend to pinch you when they scale up. That's, that's It's like pay-per-use. It's like the buffet model. But once you start getting that fourth, fifth plate of mashed potatoes, it starts getting pretty expensive. Or better yet, don't dig in. Use Brent's as a service. and Yeah, out. there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I would say I, I've looked at a handful of these and I've shied away from... There are points where it's, yes, you're paying Amazon a lot, but depending on what you're doing, there are services that you may have locked yourself into. So definitely look at businesses, try to understand what services are using. If they're using, there's generally an open source version of anything Amazon's doing. I I can't really think of anything that they, they now have cornered now with Cloudflare coming out with their own storage services. And there's always alternatives for how you do things. And there might be bare metal versions. It's just trading risk, right? It's, do I want to have multiple data centers? Do I want to have multiple points of failure versus just with Amazon? But at the same time, we all know when, when something's, when Amazon's down, half the internet's down. And sometimes it's nice to not be on that wagon, but yeah, Uh, let me know if you need some Brent as a service and and we'll talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. We launched a tech diligence. We got some inbound from it. So if you're interested, you know, hit us up. Yeah. Happy to do it. It's something that we're piloting doing the first couple to start out, but it's, it's no different than what I'm doing for Vern or what I've been doing for the last 20 years or so with my, with my aging legs and and knees and back. (laughs) We'll get you donkey in no time. Just need some more knees over toes exercises. Is that how you've, it doesn't hurt that you're a little taller than I am, but is that how you've been able to, to dunk has been these knees over toes exercises? So I'm six, seven, so it's maybe a little less impressive. Um, at my peak, like multiple times in my life, I could stand beneath the basket and jump off, off two feet and dunk with two hands. So <laughs> I could do that off half step. So like your right leg's back right now and you like right. step up and do it. And that's completely credit to like knees over toes over the last six months. Yeah, In-game dunking again, which I haven't really done since like probably five years ago. Uh, yeah, dramatic improvement, dramatic uh, improvement in confidence as well. Of like, yeah, that seems hurt. to be the best effect. And obviously you're getting two points for that dunk, but it's also the <laughs> emotional impact that it has on the other players. Yeah, it's fun. I recommend it if you could experience it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's it for this week. Yeah, for sure. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.